for as long as humans have sought to get together in groups and occupy territory, to mark out and defend a space as theirs, and within that space to construct a kind of technocultural habitat, an atmosphere in which to live. How to represent that territory, though? How to name it and say, this is ours? At first, territory is marked and defined in lived practices. The understanding of where territory begins and ends is carried in the living bodies, brains and practices of people, Features in a landscape are known to inhabitants. Over time, humans develop symbolic methods for drawing territory. Think of a map. A map represents territory. It draws in the features. It marks borders. In warfare from ancient times through to the early 20th century, the commander of an army sees the territory they are invading or defending as it appears to their own two eyes with their feet on the ground, or as it's drawn on a handmade map. Imagine the moment, though, when territory is first seen, like a bird, out of an airplane. In his optical media lectures, the German media theorist Friedrich Kittler takes up this moment, and I'm riffing here a bit on his account. In 1914, the French and Germans are engaged in trench warfare on the Western Front. Trenches are dug into the ground, partly so that an opposing army cannot see the enemy lines clearly. Imagine, though, that you can see the trenches like a bird, fly over them and see their exact formation in the landscape for the very first time. This happens in 1914. Aircraft is used to undertake reconnaissance of enemy lines. In August that year, the French led a successful counter-strike on the Germans using photographic records that they'd made by reconnaissance aircraft. Coupling an aircraft with a camera enabled armies to view territory from the sky to disclose invisible soldiers, camouflaged artillery positions and unnoticed reward connections to the enemy. The Germans urgently needed to respond to this. What emerged was a kind of experimental interplay between aircraft engineers, photographers and filmmakers. We often think of cinema playing a role in the two world wars, of the propaganda machine. Cinema was used to induce in mass populations fear of the enemy and support for the national war effort. But here, at the same time, we can see that the camera and filmmakers were also always an instrument of reconnaissance, surveillance and data collection. Kittler explains to us that in 1916, one of the founding directors of the German film industry, Oskar Mester, who has been charged by the government with filming propaganda newsreels on the war front, constructed and patented a target practice device for the detection of deviations by means of photographic records. Put simply, he mounted a camera in the machine gun turret of a plane and used a clock mechanism to make the camera take an automatic sequence of photos of the ground below. The planes would fly the same route day after day, taking the same sequence of photos, in order to produce detailed surveys of changes in enemy lines. The fact that the camera is mounted in the gun turret of the plane is a crucial detail. Kittler writes, Mester's ingenious construction could only be improved by combining shooting and filming, serial death and serial photography into a single act. What does he mean? Well, of course, in warfare, Kittler is preempting autonomous weapons like drones, 
weapons that can see the target and then shoot it autonomously. But beyond the specific illustration of warfare, there is a fundamental conceptual point being made here about what media are. The camera mounted in the plane is a device that collects and stores information. The plane goes up, the camera collects footage, comes back down, a photographer develops the film in the camera, army commanders view the photographs, compare them to previous reconnaissance, and they make a plan on how to attack enemy lines. That's a relatively convoluted process, with a series of interactions between human and machine. What if the camera in the plane was linked to some kind of device that could read the image in real time and then make its own decision to shoot? That is, if the media device didn't just collect and store information, it could also then process that information and then execute an action. Think here of the line of technical development that stretches from these first camera-enabled planes in 1914 to the autonomous drones used by the US in warfare today. This process of development is what began to unfold during World War I. Another German filmmaker drafted into the war effort, Guido Sieber, constructed a machine gun sight for fighter planes, which was combined with a small film camera that shot frames whenever the gun fired. Here, filming and flying coincide. World War I produced a new kind of film director, a film director whose visual perception had been technologically altered. That is, once you've seen landscape, territory, human habitat from the bird's eye view, you never forget it. You imagine human territory differently. The bird's eye shot that we're familiar with as viewers of film and television is created in the reconnaissance flights above German and French lines in 1914. Kittler explains that the experimental and entertainment films with a camera that was now mobile and airborne converted the perceptual world of World War I its reconnaissance vision into mass entertainment. Kittler shows us the technical role that cameras and cinemas played in warfare. There is widespread awareness of the use of the camera as war propaganda during the 20th century, but less attention to its use as a reconnaissance tool. Media technologies like film develop not just out of cultural or artistic interest, but as part of the technical requirements of other industries and activities. As an aside, this historical description of the use of planes for reconnaissance in World War I reminds me of Jesse Le Cavalier's account of Walmart in the rule of logistics. Le Cavalier explains that Walmart founder Sam Walton would use a plane to fly above the outskirts of regional towns and cities to scout for new Walmart locations. He was looking for the patterns of urban expansion in order to find land ahead of time for future Walmart stores. This is in the 1960s and 70s. So you can see here the logic of using aircraft and cameras for surveillance extending beyond military uses to here uses in commerce and retail. By the 1980s, Walmart became one of the first retailers to invest in their own satellites, which they could use to manage their distribution network of stores, trucks and warehouses, but also to scout for new locations, to track urban expansion, in ways that we're now familiar with in an everyday sense via an app like Google Maps. Google Map takes us above territory in the way the pilots of World War I did. For Kittler, war is a critical incubator of new media technologies. The relationship between media as promotional or entertainment technology and as reconnaissance technologies is a dynamic one. He quips that all media are a misuse of military equipment. 
by which he means that many aspects of our everyday media culture are products of the military-industrial complex. The perspective created in the reconnaissance flights of World War I inform the cinematic narratives and images on our screen. He describes cinemas as churches of state propaganda that praised war technology and electrification. This argument is a familiar one. Think about how many Hollywood blockbusters celebrate violence, war, military dominance. How many of our cinematic experiences place us in the perspective of the omnipotent soldier or fighter pilot unleashing firepower upon the enemy? Perhaps my favourite example Kittler offers of the misuse of military equipment is the strobe light in discos, concerts and clubs. The strobe light mimics the flashing light of machine gun fire and was used to distract and disorient the enemy. And for Kittler, one way to make sense of the dark, pulsating, strobing club is that it is the simulation of the fantasies and pleasures of warfare. Soldiers and clubbers alike, mangled on amphetamines, transported into a fantasy space. Okay, so where are we headed with this? Kittler shows us how a media technology, the camera, the cinema, the strobe light, can be placed in a longer history. Media technologies are used for both promotion and reconnaissance. Promotion and persuasion via symbolic narratives and sensory stimulation. When we sit in the cinema and watch films, the world is represented to us. When the strobe light pulses in the club, our body is stimulated and aroused. But media technologies are also always invented, experimented with, and used as technologies for data collection, storage, and processing. The big point, and this really matters, is that media are calculative and symbolic technologies. Too often, much of our attention focuses only on their symbolic capacities. Think of how we often talk about Facebook, Instagram, or Snapchat. Our accounts of them focus on how they enable new forms of participatory expression. That is, what they enable us to say, what kinds of images we post on them, and so on. But these platforms are also technologies of calculation. They collect, store, and process data. And I'd argue... If we follow the investment of resources and the logic of the business models, they are much more driven by calculative rather than symbolic modes of control. That is, while the cinema of the 20th century is central to symbolic modes of control, the creation of narratives that inform, promote and persuade, that represent the world to populations and make certain ways of life appear desirable. If we turn our attention to a platform like Facebook or Google, well, they seem much more fundamentally organised around the logic of calculation. Facebook or Google don't really make symbolic narratives. They build media technologies that collect, store and process data and use that data to shape our experience in various ways. This is why Kittler's account of the technical data collection, storage and processing capacity of media from the 19th century onwards matters so much. It enables us to revisit the media technologies and cultures of the 20th century and to recognise that they were never just symbolic. So, what do media technologies and platforms do? Well, they have symbolic and calculative functions. They create symbols, like images, sounds and narratives, that convey the meanings out of which shared ways of life are constructed. And they calculate by collecting, storing and processing information.